What a treat we have for you today on Let Me Be Frank. His Excellency is joined by Ralph Martin, one of the preeminent Catholic theologians today. This should be a really fantastic and informative conversation. And I have my notebook and pen ready to go, taking notes the whole time. So keep your radio right here on 1350 AM or 103.9 FM, or keep us on your phone with the Veritas mobile app. If you still don't have the app, go to the Apple App Store, the Google Play Store, or VeritasCatholic.com to download it right away. Let Me Be Frank is brought to you by a grant from Foundations in Faith. Pastors and ministry leaders in the Diocese of Bridgeport are invited to apply for program support grants with the St. John Paul II Fund for Religious Education and Faith Formation. With a focus on youth engagement and innovative approaches, the JP2 Fund has funded diverse programs, typically running from September to June. Pastors and ministry leaders in the Diocese of Bridgeport can apply for up to $10,000 in support of religious education and faith formation programs. The application is open now until Friday, March 31st. To apply, go online to foundationsinfaith.org. Okay, here we go. This is Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network. I'm Steve Lee, and as always, it is my great pleasure to introduce Bishop Frank Caggiano. Steve, good morning to you, my friend. Good Hi, morning. Excellency. How are we doing in our Lenten journey? Uh, you, uh, <laughs> mine's <laughs> mine's been up and down, I must admit. Um, yeah. I'm doing my commitments, but I've been a little cranky the past couple of days. So, oh gosh, then let's go on to the guest. Let's forget you. Let's <laughs> yeah. go on to the guest. <laughs> okay, you don't want to make this into a confession. No, no problem. <laughs> All right. Well, so it is. I'm very, very excited today to introduce uh, just an awesome guest. I mean, I love when we have really smart people on because. I'm able to just sit back and listen to you have a very high level conversation with the guest. And I sit here and take notes and learn from both of you. So I'm very pleased today to welcome Dr. Ralph Martin. He is the president of Renewal Ministries, an organization devoted to Catholic renewal and evangelization. He's also the director of graduate theology programs and in evangelization and a professor of theology at Sacred Heart Major Seminary in the Archdiocese of Detroit. Dr. Martin holds a doctorate in theology from the Angelicum University in Rome, and he was appointed by Pope Benedict XVI as a consultor to the Pontifical Council for the New Evangelization, which he continues to serve in this capacity. Uh, Dr. Martin is the author of several books, including The Fulfillment of All Desire, Will Many Be Saved, The Urgency of the New Evangelization, and A Church in Crisis, Pathways Forward. And um, I know that uh, Dr. Martin and his wife, Anne, live in Ann Arbor, Michigan, and they have six children and 19 grandchildren. So, wow. Dr. Ralph Martin, thank you so much for joining us on Let Me Be Frank. Great. Well, it's, it's great to be here. I met you, Steve, at a Catholic men's conference in Connecticut, and you gave me a ride back to, uh, what was it, New Canaan or Darien, where my, yes. my daughter lives, and uh, we had a great visit. It was great to hear about Veritas Catholic Radio. Well, that, that hour and a half ride in the car for me was such a thrill because I got to ask you all kinds of questions. I've been telling everybody about it since then. So, <laughs> wow. Ralph, thank you for being here, really. And, and thank you for your ministry and for your witness, which we're going to pick through now so we could we <laughs> yeah. can learn from you since we have this 
55 some odd minutes together. I got to warn you, I got to warn you though, that my goal is to become like a little child so I can enter the kingdom of God. So, uh, yeah. All right. Like, so uh, next guest. <laughs> no, I'm joking. Yeah, but that's exactly the point. That's what the renewal in, in the spirit is, right? It's mm-hmm. exactly yeah. right. Right. Yeah. I'd be curious to hear whatever you both your experience and advice, because in the midst of Lent, that is, I, I can't think of anything more important to do, to be honest. But like I warned you before we went on the air, my first question is always the same. Tell us your faith journey. Sure, sure. I'd be happy to. Uh, I was actually born in New York City, so I'm an East Coast person, even though I live mm-hmm. in Michigan. I grew up in Teaneck, New Jersey, and my grandparents were immigrants from Ireland, and so the oh. faith was really important. You know, my grandfather even uh, sold a cow to uh, help the village church get built and things like that. You know, so so I, the faith was really important to my parents as well as education. So they, they sent me to Catholic school, St. Anastasia's grade school in Teaneck, New Jersey, Burton Catholic High School in Oradell, New Jersey. And I, I believed everything the nuns taught me, you know, and I, I believed the faith and I wanted to be good. I wanted to be holy. Uh, I, I prayed special prayers during Lent and even praying words I didn't completely understand, you know, you know like mm-hmm. propitiation and, you know, ignominious and things like that. And, uh, but I, I, I was I was devout. I, I wanted to love the Lord. I never wanted to offend Him. But as I got older, you know, as the world, the flesh, and the devil began to make their impact on my life more, I, I began to ask questions. And I remember raising my hand in religion class at Bergen Catholic and asking questions and beginning to wonder where the church get authority from anyway. How do we know this is true? And so, unfortunately, I began to drift away. And it came time to go to university and I, I thought I had enough Catholic education so I wanted to go to a secular university but my parents told me if I wanted any financial help I had to go to a Catholic university good for them <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, was, it was a good tough love so I at least wanted to go to a Catholic university far away from home so I went way out to Indiana to Notre Dame and uh uh in those days, people who lived in northern New Jersey, you know, like it was like that New Yorker cartoon, you know, here's civilization on each coast, and, you know, now what we call flyover territory. So they were very concerned about whether they have good Jewish delicatessens out there or good Italian restaurants. <laughs> and my mom honestly believed that they sent inferior cans of tuna fish out to Indiana, you know. Honestly, I know I know it sounds crazy, but really, it's really wow. what they thought. So I thought maybe I'd get some answers at Notre Dame, but uh, I, I wasn't finding the answers I was looking for. I started off as a, a government major studying Russian because those are the days we thought the Russians would take over the world, and now everybody's studying Chinese. You know? mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then I, I switched to English because I felt like I, I wasn't getting fundamental enough answers. Then I became a philosophy major because – See, that's what about that's all about truth, right? I mean, you know, just I want to know what the truth is. Uh, and honestly, uh, the more I studied philosophy, the more confused I was getting. I was caught up in the confusion of the 60s, both the philosophy of the 60s and the morality of the 60s. And it wasn't until a friend basically harassed me into going on a Curcio uh, that, that I really found the answers. And uh, 
I was very skeptical about going on the crusade. You know, you know what that is, right? Mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. you know, weekend retreat and mm-hmm. uh, you know, came from Spain, Catholic renewal movement. And uh, I warned my friend, I wasn't going to compromise my intellectual integrity, which sounds kind of proud and arrogant. And it was. And at a certain point, I, I had to admit that I was loving the search more than the finding. And at a certain point, I just couldn't deny that this Jesus that they were talking about was actually there in Our Lady of Fatima retreat house on the campus of Notre Dame. And like, and I knew I didn't hear any voice. I didn't see anything, but I just felt like he was there and I had to make a response to him. And that was very uncomfortable. It was a big struggle because I knew that I couldn't really work out a deal with the Lord. I, I knew mm-hmm, I mm-hmm. couldn't bargain with him like, well, okay, I'll come back to church if, you know, he let me continue with my plans or whatever, you know. So I knew that the only sensible way of responding to Jesus, if he really is the Lord, if he really has been raised from the dead, if he was really there in that retreat house, I, I knew the only sensible option was kind of unconditional surrender. And it wasn't until Sunday morning of the Curcio, you know, it started Thursday night and Sunday morning, Sunday afternoon. Well, it wasn't until Sunday morning that I kind of was able to swallow my pride and go to the sacrament of reconciliation, be be restored in my relationship with the Lord and the church, and just open my life up to Him again. But then at the end of the Curcio, all I can say is that, in retrospect, I didn't think about it like this at the time, but in the morning. I was renewing my baptism at the very end of the Curcio. I just had this experience of the love of God flooding into my soul, like the the Holy Spirit flooding into my soul and just igniting a fire. You know, in retrospect, I'd say it was renewing the sacrament of confirmation. But uh, at the end of the Curcio, they would allow you to say some things about what you what you received from the Curcio, and I remember what I said. I want to spend the rest of my life knowing and loving Jesus and helping other people know and love him. And quite honestly, there's nothing more important than that, that even though I've got gone on to study theology and all that kind of stuff mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to a seminary, uh, the most important thing I, I learned was as a boy growing up, believing the faith and then it being renewed on the Curcio. And, you know, if Jesus really is the Lord, that's, that's it. That says everything, you know, that, that gives us all the guidance and direction we need for mm-hmm. our life. Mm-hmm. Jesus, the Lord, and unconditional surrender is the only sensible response to him. So that's, mm-hmm. so lots of, you know, it's been a long journey since then. I ended up living in Belgium for four years, working with Cardinal Sunens. I, I ended up getting a doctorate in Rome and, you know, just all kinds of other things happened. Renewal Ministry has grown to be working in 30, 40 different countries, doing evangelization, uh, you know, teaching at the seminary, you know, uh, you know, so. Anyway, just, you know, it's a long story, but got married along the way. Thanks be to God, a good Catholic girl, you know, who has been tremendously supportive, who's more holy than I am, which is really helpful. And, uh, <laughs> so, you know, so anyway, that, that's, that's, that's kind of it. Yeah, so it's, it, it, it's, so it's a remarkable testimony on how the Holy Spirit can break through in places that we would not have otherwise even imagined happening, right? Right, absolutely. Like... I wasn't expecting to meet the Lord. Right. I wasn't initially happy to meet the Lord. <laughs> right. right. But now I'm just so grateful. I'm just mm-hmm. so grateful that right. the Lord had mercy on me and 
rescued me from the arrogance and the blindness and the stupidity and all that, you know, and helped me, helped me come back to him. You know, I, I wonder the friend who harassed you to go. Yeah. That person probably had no idea of the divine agency that was involved in all of that. Right. None of us probably did, but I, I just knew he did it out of love and concern for my soul. He knew right. I wasn't in a good place and he loved me enough to know that I needed the Lord and he just he just persisted. So that's a good way of evangelizing, isn't it? Get somebody Absolutely. to come to an event like this, encourage somebody to make a retreat, uh, invite somebody to go with you to hear Scott Hahn when he comes to town or, you know, just, right. you know, it isn't rocket science evangelization. You know, there's just so many simple ways of inviting right. people, right. exposing them. Right. Perhaps one of the most powerful is to care enough of the person next to you to make an intervention, speak your mind, to 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 share with them what's on your heart, to say you need to do this. Right. 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 It's it's one on one. Right. And I, I really didn't want to go, but just to just to please mm -hmm. him, just to get him to stop harassing me. <laughs> right. Right. Well, that's all right though. It's harassing for Jesus. That's not. Yeah. That's fine. Yeah. That's fine. Yeah. Talk to me about the Angelicum. So you lived in Rome to get this degree. Yeah, well, I actually went on to Princeton after graduating from Notre Dame to the philosophy department ah. there. And uh, so I spent my first year of graduate school at Princeton. And But quite honestly, um, since I had met Jesus, I was more interested in helping my fellow students there meet Jesus than continuing on to get a doctorate. Well, I did well. My fellowship was renewed and all that kind of stuff. Richard Rorty was my uh, academic advisor, who's like known as being like one of the most famous skeptics. He's dead now. But anyway, I, I got 25 of my fellow students to make a cursio in, in Brooklyn, you know, over, over wow. the year. It got them into small groups. And uh, one of them actually ended up becoming a priest. So that was really great. But then at the end of that first year of graduate school, a friend and myself, decided we hadn't really opened up fully our careers to the Lord. And so we spent a summer at Mount Savior Monastery in upstate New York. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Which which was pretty solid at the time. I know it kind of basically went off the deep end with, you know, interreligious dialogue and all that kind of stuff. But uh, we spent the summer kind of bailing hay and praying and asking God for direction for our life. And we kept getting this passage, sell all you have and come follow me. But we knew enough about scripture that we shouldn't take it literally. <laughs> yeah you're too smart for your own good right. as my brother would say right right so at the end of the summer we talked to Dennis and vincent the prior he was kind of well known for liturgy in austria i think or germany and we said you know we're just kind of thinking we should go back to grad school but we keep getting this passage what do you think he said well if you th if you think the lord's asking you to sell all you have and come follow him that's what you should do so we were we were a little shocked. We weren't expecting to say that, but we just felt like, yeah, that's, that's what we should do. Now, I, I must confess, it's probably the best time in our life to get that scripture passage because we hardly had anything to sell. <laughs> How God is merciful, right? Right, God is merciful. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But what was painful for my parents, of course, my dad flew up to the monastery, said, you're throwing away a doctor at Princeton and, you know, don't do this and get your doctorate first and then look into, you know, serving the Lord more directly. But we just felt like we should do that. So we began hitchhiking across the country, visiting my friend's brother in California, ended up passing through Kansas City, where the first national Curcio conference was happening. 
And this is going to sound crazy, but the Franciscan priest who was running it asked one of us to give the opening talk and another one to give the closing talk at the first National Curseal Convention. I was like maybe 23 years old or something like that. We had written an article about the importance of the Curseal that he had read. So he just he just kind of did this crazy thing. A Jesuit would never do this, right? I mean, but it was a Franciscan, you know? And, wow. And then, and then wow. Bishop, Bishop Joseph Green, who was auxiliary bishop at the time in Lansing, Michigan, later on to become the Bishop of Reno, uh, got appointed as the first Episcopal advisor to the Curcio movement. So he invited us to work for the National Office of the Curcio movement, which was then in, in Lansing, Michigan. So we ended up in Lansing, Michigan, uh, working for the Curcio movement. And then we were also doing campus ministry at Michigan State University at the Catholic Student Center there. Well, anyway, that's, that's how I got out of grad school. And then about 20 years later, the Catholic Charismatic Renewal was going through a time of purification. The communities were dealing with imbalances. And I decided to take one course at the seminary on ecclesiology, trying to understand how renewal movements relate to the wider church. And the dean at the time, who's now the Bishop of Lansing, Bishop Earl Boyer, said, hey, oh, why, yes. you, why, don't you, why don't you stay and get a master's degree in theology? I said, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so so he, he gave me credit for some stuff I had written and done and stuff like that. And so he made it manageable. And then and then Bishop Boyer, uh, Bishop Vigneron, who is then rector of the seminary, uh, and I both ended up on the board of Ave Maria University, which uh, Tom Monahan just founded in Ann Arbor, and then, it, and then it moved to Florida. And he found out that, I don't know, this is too complicated. Father Mike Scanlon, president of Franciscan University, heard I got a master's degree in theology. And so he invited me to start teaching at the summer program at Franciscan. And then the president of Ave Maria University at the time, Nick Healy, asked me to start teaching Catholic spirituality at uh, Ave Maria. And Bishop Vigneron found that out. And he says, we need to get you teaching at the seminary. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, so I started teaching an introductory course to Catholic spirituality at the seminary. And then Cardinal Maida, you know, the previous archbishop. Oh, yes. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Said, you know, I just don't think we've made a serious enough response to John Paul II's invitation to a new evangelization organizationally. So I want to refocus the seminary on, he gave us a new model, preparing heralds for the new evangelization. Mm -hmm. So then they took a poll amongst the seminary faculty about who had experienced an evangelization. And I was the only one that raised my hand. <laughs> so, so they put me on a committee to uh, come up with a new approach to uh, seminary formation, evangelization, and things like that. And then the Cardinal decided he wanted to offer a pontifical degree, a license of sacred theology. And so at that time, everybody in Rome who had any authority in the area was Polish. So they, they all kind of agreed with Cardinal Maida that Sacred Heart should be able to offer a license of sacred theology. Mm -hmm. And then they made me acting director of the program, even though I didn't have an STL. And then right. down the road, they said, oh, by the way, would you mind getting an STL? Right. Well, I said, if I can work on an issue that's really useful to the church, I'd be, I'd be willing to do that. So I was very concerned about uh, this, this kind of fog or virus of universalism spreading throughout the church where people presume that God's so merciful, everybody was saved, and you know, just, just not really thinking it really is important for people to know Jesus and you know, so many different roads to God, that whole spirit type of thing. So I said, if I can work on that, 
I, I'd be willing to do this. So they let me work on that, you know, at the uh, Dominican House of Studies. I actually moved to Washington, D.C. for a semester, lived with Redemptorist, uh, and uh, got, a, got an STL. And uh, then they said, well, as long as you're an STL, would you mind getting an ST, STD? And, and so uh, I said, if they let me keep working on this topic, I'd be willing to do that. So Bishop Christian, uh, you know, Father Robert Christian became bishop and then died quickly in San Francisco, uh, became my dissertation uh, you know, director. And so I, my wife and I moved to Rome. We only were required to do one semester residency. And so ended up getting the doctorate there. So anyway, anyway, it's just sort of just. But you see how Providence guided you all through this. It's amazing, isn't it? It, it, it is. I, I can't. This, this was not my plan, but the Lord kept yeah. moving me in certain yeah. directions, and I, I I do feel like everything that's happened has equipped me to uh, right. to serve the church and to right. help people. Right. See, you you are the living example of how obedience and discernment yields tremendous fruit. Mm-hmm. Because we are, we do not always, nor should we always, and perhaps most of the time would not have a sense of the why of what the Lord is asking of us. But mm-hmm. when you get further down the road and look back, you begin to see the pattern or the pieces fit together that mm-hmm. otherwise, absent obedience, if you're waiting to see it ahead of time, you're not going to go anywhere. You're not going to do anything. Right. You might not even say yes. <clears throat> right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Tremendous. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So now, so let's switch gears. So Mm -hmm. you are the man that many people turn to when they need assistance in renewal or evangelization, right? To this. So if I met you on the street and never heard the word, what would you say? What is this task of evangelization? Yeah, well, I would, I would try to find out where the person was like, I'd ask him, you know, what, what's what's your relationship to the Lord? Do you have a relationship where you're mm-hmm. raised in any church or anything like that? And, you know, depending on what they answer, I would then go on to kind of ask God to help me talk to them. So here in Ann Arbor, it's an extremely liberal town. And, uh, you know, oh, really, uh, oh. <laughs> yes, really. Yes. More than New York City? I can't imagine it. I don't know. Where, I mean, does New York City vote? <laughs> We'll never get into politics, but uh, <laughs> let's just put it this way. One political party controls the entire city. So there's not one person of an opposition party. Oh, understood. Yeah. yeah, it's just it's just totally, we're a reproductive free zone. We're a nuclear free zone. They want to kick out the electric company and make our own electric city. They want, but anyway, it's 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 that kind of place. And 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 I play tennis with some of these people and and. And, and every now and then something will come up in conversation like you just proposed, like the man in the street type of thing. And um, so I asked one woman one day, like, did you grow up in the church at all? She said, well, I grew up as a Lutheran, but, you know, everybody was so hypocritical. I just left the church. I just felt like the Holy Spirit gave me an inspiration. Well, I said, well, you don't have to be a hypocrite. You, you could be a sincere follower of Jesus. Just because everybody else is a hypocrite doesn't mean that you have to be one. So I think that just really kind of, you know, shook her, you know, and then in another conversation with somebody talking about, well, a woman's right over her own body type of thing. And I just felt like the Lord said, you know, uh, it isn't just her body. There's two bodies there. You know, you got to take care for both bodies. It's no longer just her body. It's her body and the body of the baby, you know. So I just feel like the Lord sometimes helps me in conversations 
know what to say. And I think that is important, just always praying and asking God to give us wisdom about what to say. Sometimes people say they don't believe in God. And I say, well, why don't you, why don't you just as an experiment, say, God, if you're there, reveal yourself to me. God, if you're there, reveal yourself to me. So I just feel like there's so many different ways of approaching. Uh, and then, of course, there's always telling your own story. You know, it, it's so much harder to argue with somebody's experience than to get into a, a you know, a political argument or a doctoral argument or something like that. So, Without a doubt. Without yeah. a doubt. Without a doubt. In the end, that's why I always ask the question I do to begin, because it's the personal journey and testimony that is very compelling. Yeah. Right? Because you, you're just, you're relating what happened mm -hmm. uh, without necessarily um, having to uh, explain why it happened because that's god's grace but it happened right, right. right? it's right so again you're illustrating something extremely important and when we come back from the other side of the break i want to talk about more about this but when you take the time when you're out golfing or whatever and allow the spirit I'm, to I'm, inspire I'm a you golfer i i it takes too long it's too expensive i don't golf but i do play tennis it's quicker yeah so <laughs> so when you play you're establishing a relationship yeah. See, in, in my mind, Ralph, it's always about relationships Yeah, that allow you to say these things. And maybe with God's grace, with the grace of the Holy Spirit, they will hear it. Mm -hmm. They will hear it, which is different from something that's generically offered. Yeah. Right. And unfortunately, yeah. we're living in a world, and we'll talk about this when we come back, that where relationships are harder and harder to come by, especially because of technology, especially yeah. because of what young people and many people now are experiencing, a lot of isolation, that has to be overcome if we can really want to effectively evangelize, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. Great, excellent. Okay, so this is Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network. Bishop Frank Caggiano is speaking with Dr. Ralph Martin, President of Renewal Ministries and Professor of Theology at Sacred Heart Major Seminary in Detroit. We'll be right back. If you're concerned about your end-of-life plans, searching for a Catholic cemetery, or have loved ones who are buried in one of the 14 Catholic cemeteries throughout Fairfield County, now might be a good time to begin planning for yourself or for other family members. Call one of our family advisors at 203-742-1450 and select option 5 to leave a message or visit www.ctcemeteries.org. Many people don't realize that they can be buried with their deceased loved ones, even if all of the family's in-ground plots have been taken. The Diocese of Bridgeport Catholic Cemeteries provides in-ground burials, as well as columbarium and mausoleum options. This makes it possible to unite your family together in the same cemetery, and it's an opportunity to build a bridge for your family back to the church. Talking about this issue is not easy, but pre-need planning makes your wishes clear, reduces cost, and helps your family avoid difficult decisions at a time of grief and loss. You can start your planning now by contacting one of our family advisors at 203-742-1450 and select option 5 or visit www.ctcemeteries.org. We can guide you through the options, regulations, and considerations to help you make the best decisions for your family. The number is 203-742-1450 and select option 5 or visit www.ctcemeteries.org. 
All right, welcome back to Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network. His Excellency has been speaking with Dr. Ralph Martin, and uh, so I'll turn it right over to you, Excellency. So, Ralph, you are a member, consultant to the Pontifical Council for the New Evangelization. Maybe our readers don't know what that is. So give us a a couple of minutes. What is that? Yeah, well, Pope Benedict, uh, you know, when John Paul II died, people wondered whether the strong emphasis on new evangelization would continue under Pope Benedict. Mm -hmm. And it it did continue in a very strong way. He he called a synod, a world synod of bishops, with the theme of new evangelization. And he also established a new Vatican office called the Pontifical Council for the Promotion of New Evangelization. So uh, at, at a certain point, uh, Archbishop Fisichella, who was uh, appointed as head of that new office, uh, sort of probably proposed to Pope Benedict that they appoint me as a consultor. So I've been a consultor. And so I've been consulting on things like, what do you think about the Alpha movement? What do you think about, you know, the catechism and catech- you, know, you know, just different things. You know, we've had some meetings in Rome, but then things got sort of put on, put on ice when Pope Francis started to restructure the uh, Vatican offices. And so mm-hmm. it just became a little bit frozen there for a while. And I, now the Pontifical Council for New Evangelization is being integrated into the uh, congregation, well, the dicastery for the evangelization of people. So it's sort of in flux right now. It's not clear how it's going to continue to function. Oh, I see. Okay. Oh, it's interesting. Archbishop Fisichella is coming to the United States in June. He's meeting the bishops of the Committee on Evangelization and Catechesis, the subcommittee bishops. Um, yeah. So I'm looking forward to that conversation in June. That's, yeah. that's I think, yeah. the second week of June. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. He's very knowledgeable about what's going on all over the world. Yeah. Right. Got a lot of energy. So Ralph, so, so Ralph, uh, uh, not to put you on the spot, but so you were tasked at some point in your life and you're still involved in seminary formation, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah. what, what's your sense of priests now coming out of the seminary? Do they understand this task of evangelization? Do you think that they are equipped to do it in a more effective way than perhaps older generations? What, what do you see as your assessment going forward for the leadership of the clerical leadership of the church? Yes. Um, you know, I, I do do a lot of things with priests and, uh, you know, I, I do a bunch of clergy convocations for dioceses and I mm-hmm. speak at Scott mm-hmm. Hall's big priest conferences. I, I probably spoke to a thousand priests last year. So I do get a good feel of what's going on. And I think mm-hmm. in terms of seminary formation, um, it really depends a lot on the seminary. And mm-hmm. uh, I think most seminaries now are sort of trying to do something in evangelization, trying to do something to prepare their seminarians to uh, lead an evangelization. But it's 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 spotty from seminary to seminary. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Like in, in, in our seminary, we focus on that in a particular way. So their mm-hmm. their apostolic kind of uh, experiences involve evangelization, not just hospital counseling and things like that. You know, so. So mm-hmm. our, our guys, I think, are pretty pretty well equipped to lead an evangelization. However, there is a strong emphasis, as you know, amongst some of the younger clergy because of the chaos in the church, because of the confusion to kind of cling on to, uh, you know, traditional liturgy as as the, the solution to the problems of the church. And whatever we may think of traditional liturgy, and we have to say it's certainly a legitimate option in the church, uh, it, it's sort of a defensive thing, and uh, liturgy alone isn't the the whole work of the church. Like even the Constitution on 
on liturgy, it says, you know, there's things that come before celebration of the Eucharist, and there's things that come afterwards, and evangelization precedes the Eucharist, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and, and the Eucharist leads to evangelization. So I, I am mm-hmm. a little concerned about some of the younger priests sort of like almost reacting a little bit to what they think is Vatican II. And honestly, we still teach Vatican II in a very strong, clear way at the seminary, and it hasn't yet been realized. The universal call to holiness, the universal call to mission. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I think that the way forward for the church is not left, not right, but it's dead center. You know, dead center on becoming a disciple of Christ, you know, accepting the whole mm-hmm. Jesus, accepting the whole revelation, uh, accepting the tradition of the church, accepting the catechism, uh, accepting mm-hmm. Vatican II. And it's not only a, a legitimate council of the church, but a spirit-inspired council of the church that could help us a lot if we really kind of... Uh, mm-hmm properly understood it and applied it. So that's, mm-hmm. I think places where that's going on have a healthy future. Others, it's, there's a certain of danger of uh, closing mm-hmm. in and becoming defensive and becoming fearful and mm-hmm. becoming mm-hmm. suspicious and hostile. Yeah, uh, it's it, there's always the danger in any sort of movement in the church to become what I call the Catholic Amish where you just mm-hmm. kind of like close in on yourself as a close community. The interesting thing is, though, I have a theory about that, and I've spoken about it on the podcast, and that is I think part of the desire for good people to get involved in, in the liturgy, that is what we call the vetus ordo or the, tra- the traditional celebration mm-hmm. of the Mass, right, mm-hmm. is that they're seeking uh, an aesthetic expression that resonates with their heart. So they, I mm-hmm. think when you get under the cover it, uh, it's it's you know a search for beauty. It's a search for a really affective engagement at mass, mm-hmm. and I think there is something very legitimate there because the truth be told, the novus ordo oftentimes is celebrated in a very uninspiring, uh, a, almost mundane way. And I don't mean to be critical, but it's you could you know what I mean, Ralph? It's you you yeah. know the yeah. difference between going to yeah. a celebration that just does it touches your mind and heart and your will, right. and one that's kind of like leaves yeah. you saying, well, what? Yeah. "Right, exactly, yeah. right." Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, I, honestly, so, yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. No, no, please. No, no, please. Well, you know, what are you gonna say? Um, mm-hmm. I I totally agree with you about what people are looking for in the traditional Latin liturgy. And uh, and I think that the pontifical Sunday celebration of it is particularly moving. I do find the daily quick mass of it not so moving, mm-hmm. where the priest is basically facing the altar and you can't hear what he's saying and you can't see what's going on. I don't find that as engaging or as uplifting as the Novos Ordo celebrated with faith and with passion. You know, we're, we're fortunate in Ann Arbor here. We have one parish that does the, the traditional Latin liturgy and it does it in a pontifical way. That's really, really good. But we also have the Novus Ordo celebrated with tremendous faith and love and, and reverence, you know? So it's really like a, got a good situation here in that, that regard. Like, thank God. One of the, thank God. Yeah, one of the pastors in our, in our town here, when he celebrates Novus Ordo, uh, it's like, he's really talking to God. I mean, he's really like, he's really offering the sacrifice to God, the father. And he's, I mean, he, I mean, it, there's such faith and such devotion that it's just, it's just absolutely inspiring. And anyway. Yeah. 
Yeah, and that's <laughs> that, that is well, you know, that is what I think Pope uh, Pope um, Pope Benedict had wanted all along, like a cross pollinization, mm -hmm. right? But yeah, let's go back right. to to your ministry. So tell me, renewal ministries. What is renewal yes. ministries? Yes. Well, I was living in Belgium for four years and uh, came back in 1980. And then I was just really concerned about some of the flaky theology that was going on and, and <laughs> some, of the, some of the flaky liturgy and, and, and some of the kind of weakening of, of clear teaching about marriage and sexuality, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I... I just felt like the Lord was calling me to address these issues in the light of sacred revelation. So I, I, I almost felt like commissioned to do this. And out of it came a book called a church, a, a crisis of truth, the undermining the attack on faith, morality, and mission, the Catholic church, which to this day, I still meet priests and people who told me that, that, that saved their faith. You know, I restated uh, the truth of the faith in light of, uh, false theological theories that were confusing people. You know, I just did a whole update on that recently in the last two years. I call it Church in Crisis Pathways Forward. But uh, right now, like, you know, crazy stuff is going on. So out of that, Renewal Mercy started. Uh, I just felt like the Lord's calling me to a mission in the Catholic Church to clarify truth and mm -hmm. uh, the power of the Holy Spirit, you know. And, and over the years, that's developed. We have the longest-running Catholic television program, EWTN, you know, 35 years every week. We have two daily Catholic radio programs. We just started a YouTube channel a couple of years ago. And, uh, uh, you know, our young people in the office did that. We had about 7,000 subscribers. And then my colleague, Peter Herbeck, and I started doing a video each week. And now we have about 70,000 subscribers. And some of our videos have 300,000 views and things like that. So we're trying to strengthen people's faith. We're trying to be realistic and honest about the confusion and contradiction that's going on in the church and the culture without kind of polarizing things, but trying to point people towards the center, trying to point people towards what's clear truth, where we can solidly stand. We try to get people to recover their confidence in sacred scripture, try to get people to recover their confidence in the Catholic Church is founded by Christ, even though it's having troubles right now, you know. But, and it's pretty mm -hmm. crazy right now. I mean, with, with cardinals and bishops openly contradicting each other, it's getting kind of, you know, the, the gloves are off, the masks are off, you know. It's kind of like, uh, you know, Bishop Paproxy's, how do you, how do you pronounce his name? Bishop Paproxy. Paproxy, yeah. I mean, I mean, his article yesterday is basically saying that some cardinals that are denying aspects of the faith have actually excommunicated themselves. So we're getting, we're getting really... We're really getting into it, you know, and, and people get confused and they don't know what to believe. So we say, look, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. Uh, you can rely on the catechism, you know, no, no matter what's going on. Uh, the important thing is for you to develop your relationship with Jesus, to form your mind and heart on the basis of divine revelation. And yes, you are going to have to make some choices about who you trust and who you rely on, or who's a reliable teacher right. of the faith. You do, you're going right. to have to make some choices. Right, right. No, it's interesting. You know, I my my background theologically is in the patristics. Um, so when when, and not to make light of the conflict, but the fact mm -hmm. that bishops are in conflict is as old as the church. Look yes. at Peter and Paul in the Acts of the Apostles. Right. In right. Nicaea, 
In Nicaea, the bishops could not agree initially. The, the emperor had to send in troops to calm the bishops. They threw chairs at each other. I mean, I could go yeah. on and on and on. I'm not suggesting that we, we could be in conflict. That's not the point. But the point yeah, is, right, right. if people are upset and saying, oh, my gosh, what did we get to? Well, ladies and gentlemen, we've been there plenty of times before. Do not lose hope. Right, right, right. Well, and, Jesus warned himself. Jesus said, there's going to be false teachers and prophets, you know. Jesus said, there's going to be division, you know. The apostles said there's going to be division. The apostles are right. dealing with division all the time. They even right, name right. people who are false teachers. Right. The one thing I would suggest, though, and this may be something that um, may not sit well with many people, but what the heck. Yeah. Correction always is medicinal. It mm -hmm. should not, first and foremost, be punitive. Yeah. So when people correct each other, even bishops correct each other, whether it's done privately or publicly, those who are listening to it need to understand that it is should well, it should be offered as medicinal. Right. And and unfortunately, in the world in which we are, people forget that and see it almost as punitive, and mm -hmm. therefore it fuels further division when the whole goal of it should be to foster unity. Right. Right. And that's something people should reflect on. Yeah. Well, right. I think, I think Bishop Propraki actually said he hopes that uh, there'll be some change here. He'll hope that uh, people who are saying these things will reflect a little bit, maybe explain what they really mean in a way that could be interpreted orthodoxy. So I think he's definitely leaving the door open and hopes that there could be some clarification or uh, thinking twice about what, what's said and things like that. So I, mm -hmm. I, I totally agree with you. Like condemnation is not, it isn't even ours to, it's not our responsibility. Condemnation, fraternal right. correction is, yeah. Yeah, right, right. For the greater good, absolutely. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. Well, I think also, quite frankly, and, and I'd be curious to see your view of this, while we, we, while we would want to be immune from the cross currents in society, we must acknowledge that even those who are trying their best in some way, shape, or form, always have to be on guard against the influences that exist within society. Yeah, yeah, no, honestly, uh, we've been used to like a period of peace in a certain way where there's been a certain harmony between the wider culture and the church, like even growing up in Teaneck, New Jersey, mm -hmm. everybody mm -hmm. respected in some ways the Ten Commandments or going to church on Sunday or synagogue, you know, and, and there, there was a sort of like a, basic respect for God, for the Ten Commandments in our mm -hmm. culture. And now not only have we drifted away from that, but like Archbishop Gomez said, uh, he says we actually have uh, an, an, an elite that's trying to create a new creed uh, that's, that's actually hostile to Christ and the church, a, a different view of human nature, a different view of of our capacity to uh, save ourselves, you know, by our smart, by, by our technology things. Mm -hmm. So we're in a terrible situation and there's so much pressure now to conform with, with the new world culture. The Catholics need to be strengthened. You know, Catholics need to, uh, they can't, they can't rely on the peace we've had. We don't have peace anymore. We have war. You know, there's yeah. really actually, you know, Pope Benedict even said the spirit of the Antichrist is at work right now and what's happening right. in, 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 in the culture. Right. And so we have to kind of like get people to make deeper decisions. People have to make a deeper decision about who is he 
and, and what does it mean to believe in Jesus? And, right. and what's the truth about marriage and sexuality? And, and people just have to be called to, uh, to get clear, to make a deeper decision if they're going to be able not swept away, you know, in, in the cultural influences. Right. Right. What, what, and I think, yes, I would agree. And I also, I would add this to it. And that is, I think in some way, shape or form, again, this may sound a little bit odd for me to say, but when something becomes clear, then it is easier to respond to than when it is opaque or ambiguous. Right. And in some way, shape or form, the culture now that we are living in is becoming very much clear as to what it holds. Right. It, it, the ambiguity and the opaqueness is disappearing, right? Right. No, and, I, I, and it makes the decision clearer as right. to what you need to decide. Would right. you agree? A absolutely. I think that stuff that's been under the surface is now coming out. I actually did a YouTube video called The Mask Are Off because the masks are off now. People are being pretty clear about what they're about, what they want, what their vision of human life and sexuality is. But I think the same is true in the church. You know, the stuff that's been under the surface, you know, some, you know, some unbelief that's been under the surface, some immorality that's been under the surface is, is being exposed and gives us a chance. It gives a chance for the Lord to purify the church. It gives a chance for people to have to decide what they really believe, you know? And, and mm -hmm. so I think that's good. God's going to bring good out of it. He's, we got to remember that all this is happening under the providence of God, right? Absolutely. You know, there's, there's nothing happening in the world. There's nothing happening in the church that God isn't permitting. And he only permits those things he's got a plan to bring good at him. So Absolutely. as Absolutely. painful and difficult as this time is, it, it's needed maybe for, for the cleansing of the church and the purification of the church and giving the world a chance to uh, make a big decision. Right. One of the things that is, is regretful, if I could use that word, mm -hmm. in the moment in which we are living, is that we have not yet thought through both as a society and as a church, how best to use the digital continent mm -hmm. in the work of the gospel. Yeah. yeah. And the reason I say that is because there was a time when the failing of an individual Catholic, layperson, cleric, bishop, or even Pope, whoever, mm -hmm. would have been known by a very small circle of individuals. Right. Now, every mistake, every opinion is amplified in be ways beyond our wildest imagination. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like a drinking binge. So when you begin to drink, to, to become sober is sometimes so difficult that you keep drinking to avoid the after effects of the hangover. Yeah. And in some sense, we have people in this digital continent who are making their voices heard and people are countering those voices, whoever they may be. Mm -hmm. And we are amplifying the damage mm -hmm. because we don't understand how the medium works. Mm -hmm. It's still too new. Mm -hmm. So in some sense, what's regretful is that we couldn't just take a step back and try to understand it before we engage it. Because we would be too late to engage it. Mm -hmm. That's what happened in China. When we went to China and the Vatican said, well, you know what? You can't do things in Chinese. You can't do it. Well, then we lost the opportunity to evangelize a country which has now become quite a force in the world that yeah. is not in service of the gospel. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's part of the struggle here, Ralph. It's in a sense is uh, 
uh, how do we how do we preach the truth, which we're going to? How do we correct each other, which we need to, but not feed the division that social media and so much can amplify unnecessarily? Yeah, well, that, that's where I think we need sensitivity to the Holy Spirit, a sensitive conscience to our own motivation, and 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 just wisdom, like. We should only speak about the negative things when we need to to help people. Uh, and I do think that if, if we don't acknowledge that there's negative things going on, we're not credible to people. Like people know that things aren't going right in the culture. People know that there's mm -hmm. confusion in the church. People know that there's strange things happening and being said by church leaders. So if we don't acknowledge that in some kind of way, but then move on from there to reaffirm the truth of our faith, and, mm -hmm. and the, the unique status of Catholic, the Catholic Church is founded by Christ and then directing them to their own relationship with the Lord. I, I think that's the path to faith. Uh, you know, I, mm -hmm. this, this book I've written, A Church in Crisis, I've gotten letters from lots of priests and bishops and lay people saying it really helps to be able to name what's going on. He said it was just, it was just stuff confusing. I didn't know how to mm -hmm. put a name to it, but you've helped me put a name to it. And now I can move on with so much more confidence about knowing what we're dealing with and reaffirming mm -hmm, the, the, mm -hmm. the gospel. So I think that whatever method or media we end up using in preaching and teaching, the, the critical thing is to preach and teach with the authority of the truth, the, the authority of Christ. You know, I, I think that uh, there's an urgency to the preaching of Jesus, which I think needs to be tapped into. Uh, by priests and bishops and lay people today. We need to not just kind of throw out food for thought, but this is an announcement. This is a proclamation. This is a call to conversion. This is a call to repentance. This is a call to follow Jesus. And, mm -hmm. and it's a decision that's required. It's not just kind of interesting thoughts or, you know, insightful meditations on scripture or, you know, filling in the cultural background, but it's it's a call to radical surrender. The, the whole thing is. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I think fire in the preacher Conviction of the truth, mm -hmm. of believing the word of God. Right. And I'm going to add one other thing too, Ralph. I, mean, I, I presume you would agree with this, but if not, then we could certainly chat about it. I think for younger individuals, it's also the integrity of witness. Yeah. 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 We have to be living it. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. We shouldn't, we shouldn't be, we shouldn't be in, in the ministry if we don't believe it with all our heart. And if we're not living it right as sincerely as we possibly can. Right. Because as as it becomes clearer and clearer what the stark choices are, then the mm -hmm. fruits of either side of the choice are also becoming clearer. Mm -hmm. And in a sense, if Christians of all stripes and denominations, but particularly for us who are Catholic Christians, mm -hmm. if we really believe what the church teaches, and therefore, we really believe that the spirit is alive and invite the spirit into our hearts, that we will have the fruits of that spirit that St. Paul talks about. And then yeah. people will say, you know what? Well, I'm ascribing to this, but look at those people. Yeah. Look at those. I, well, why do they seem to be happy and joyful and and convicted? Yeah. And you, yeah. you, you right. They put up yeah. with their, their own nonsense at times for yeah. the great. Right. That, yeah. I think the witness is sometimes the most compelling way to have people to see the difference. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, 
anxiety and fear is gripping the world. You know, we're all these articles coming out in New York Times, Washington Post about mental illness amongst young people, depression, anxiety, it's just growing. And finally, somebody wrote an article saying, you know, could there be something wrong in our culture and not just with our young people? Could there be something wrong with us adults? You know, so I think the bad fruits of departing from the goodness of God uh, and the goodness of his ways is becoming so apparent people might be ready to start waking up saying, you know, maybe this is the wrong direction. And then all the population declines, you know, you know, Italy, Japan, not having enough babies, you know, to replace the population and to support the older people. Like, like it's sort of like the bad fruits are coming clear and it may be a great opportunity to invite people to taste the Lord and see how good he is and, exactly. and look at the good fruits that comes from exactly. following him. the families that have children, you know, Lots of people are saying now they hardly ever see a child anymore. You know, so many people are stopping having children, at least in these liberal enclaves that we live in. Mm -hmm. And just seeing a family, a happy family with children, you know, with all the struggles that come with it. But a family with children is so good to look at, you know, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. there's something good about it, you know. And so I, I totally agree with you. The witness are we're being honest in business, telling the truth in business, just the witness of our lives is just is, is the foundation of, of our mission. Could you imagine if we had that in politics? We're going to end on that note. Could you imagine what life would look like? That's a whole nother podcast to have. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This whole episode is about to explode right now. Uh, I hate to jump in, but we do need to take our, our second break. Uh, Bishop Caggiano has been speaking with Dr. Ralph Martin, renowned author, uh, expert in the new evangelization and president of Renewal Ministries. We'll be right back with a listener question on the other side of this break. Hey, it's Matt from Restless on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network. Each week on Restless, we young adults restlessly seek the face of Christ in today's crazy and mixed up world. Join us each Friday at noon on 1350 AM, 103.9 FM, the Veritas app, or wherever you get your shows. Hope to see you there. Okay, welcome back to Let Me Be Frank with Bishop Frank Caggiano. All right, Excellency, here is this week's question. It says, Bishop Frank, why did God include a forbidden tree in the Garden of Eden? It's like he was almost setting Adam and Eve up for a failure. Couldn't he just have left the tree out and allowed humans to skip the potential fall? Well, that's a great question. Um, but I think we need to remember a basic fact basic theological truth. Um, Adam and Eve and we are made in the image and likeness of God. But we are not God. We are his image. And therefore, there's a sovereignty that God has over us, that there is a, a need for us to acknowledge and in obedience respect. And in some way, one interpretation, the, the, this would be mine, of course, for the tree it is God's necessary sovereignty over his creation that the creation needs to acknowledge. Otherwise, the creation will vie to be his equal, which is exactly what pride is. It's exactly what the fall was, that they were not comfortable in being in receiving the grace and finding their place in his image to love and to know, 
to will, but to want to vie to be that God. And ultimately, all of the chaos we have had in sin since is because of that. We keep revisiting it. So it was to our betterment and Adam needs betterment to have the tree. It wasn't a punishment. It wasn't a, a ruse. It wasn't, you know, a hidden way to have men fall. It was the proper order and relationship that humanity should have with God, that humanity, unfortunately, at the beginning of our creation rejected. Awesome. Okay, so if you have a question for Bishop Frank, send it in to us on social media, or you can email questions at veritascatholic.com. Bishop Frank Caggiano is on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. So is Veritas Catholic Network. And we would like to give a big thank you to our sponsor, Foundations in Faith. A grant from the St. Therese Fund for Evangelization makes it possible for us to bring Let Me Be Frank to you. Foundations in Faith is committed to supporting and transforming pastoral ministries in the Diocese of Bridgeport. And you can learn more about their outstanding work at foundationsinfaith.org. Ralph Martin, this was awesome. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, and also make sure you tell us where uh, folks can go and get more from you and you know, your team. You just go to our website, renewalministries.net, and there's just all kinds of links to the missions we do overseas and TV, radio, YouTube, whatever, you know, so. I, uh, Ralph, thank you for, for joining the podcast. And I must tell you, I tonight when I offer my evening prayers, I'm going to thank God in a very special way that you went to that Corsillo. Absolutely. Thank you for all your ministry. And I look forward to seeing you in Ann Arbor. Please, God, in the fall. Amen. Excellency, before we go, would you please Absolutely. give us your blessing? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. We lift our minds and hearts to you, Heavenly Father, in great gratitude for the conversation we have had, for the honor of serving you, for being your ambassadors of love and mercy in the world. Continue to bless our efforts, bless those whom we love, and may one day bring us to the glory of eternal life. And may the blessing of Almighty God, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit come upon you and remain with you forever. Amen. Amen. Enjoy Amen. your week, everybody. You too. Thanks, Excellency. Thank you, Thank you Ralph. Best.